It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. My guest today is Dr. Robert Cyprian. Am I saying it right this time? Cyprian. Cyprian. Cyprian, see, yeah. My brain is so fascinating. When I see a name like yours, it gets so confused. It thinks of all the different possibilities. But it's not just when you. When we first started, <laughs> isn't it interesting? It makes me wonder like, what is it about? pronouncing names that is so challenging. It seems like such a basic thing for us as human beings. And yet I know I'm not the only one that struggles with it. And you would think that names would be much easier for us because we're constantly reading names, talking to new people, meeting them. And yet it just continues to be a lifelong challenge for me. I don't know why. But it's actually always a great little point to start off with some discomfort because it feels uncomfortable for me when I make a mistake or I feel like I am not honoring or respecting someone. And Robert, when you and I first started talking just you know, 15 minutes ago, you said that when you heard the name of this show, you were excited about it. And I'm curious, what is it about the possibility of getting uncomfortable that appealed to you? Well, to me, you know, what I do is I help people change in life whether that's their health, their mind, relationship job, whatever, I help people change. Now, if people have been living the same life that they're just not happy with, they're not getting out of that comfort zone. How do you get out of the comfort zone? You have to be uncomfortable. You literally have to get knocked out of it sometimes. And sometimes I got to do that. I got to really just, you know, talk to people about things that they normally wouldn't talk about. Or sometimes I got to pry it out of them. Sometimes it takes me, you know, maybe several sessions to actually get someone that's actually, okay, I'll talk to you about this. And yeah, I mean, uncomfortableness is really, it's a beautiful thing. And it's something that humans, at least, you know, humans in this modern society don't want to do, but it's an amazing thing. Well, you use the reference getting knocked out, I think. (laughs) That really applies to your story. And I'm not surprised that you really lean into getting uncomfortable because you have a really fascinating background. First of all, you grew up on, as described, the rough streets of Queens, New York. You were a gang member who was stabbed and shot at dozens of times. You had your teeth literally knocked out, your head split open. And according to your bio, you're lucky to be alive today. And on top of that, you also suffered from all types of poor health. We were talking before we started recording about allergies and digestive problems, but you've also had asthma, bronchitis, a weak immune system, and you would spend weeks in bed. So you've gone through a number of physical discomfort. And I'm curious, do you feel like you built up a lot of resilience from that? Or did you already consider yourself resilience from a young age? I had resilience. And, you know, through all the stuff I went through at a younger age, of course, I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And 
yeah, I got through everything. And then when my life changed and shift and I wound up leaving all that in Queens, New York to go to Los Angeles, to go to chiropractic medical school right away, it was like that resiliency, the rug I pulled out from Monday was like, boom. And I just pretty much fell on my face within the first couple months. I remember, I think it was my first set of final exams. I was so sick and my friend was driving me to school to take the test. I just had to focus on how much do I need to get on this final exam to just pass the course. That's all I was focused on is like, what's the bare minimum that I need to get to just get out of here because I couldn't function. And yeah, it's kind of what the universe handed to me. It's like, okay, now you're going on this journey and we're going to give you some things to kind of learn from. So my ill health was the biggest thing that taught me what really health is really about. And the ill health was before or after becoming a gang member? Well, I always had like, yeah, I was always sick as a child with asthma. And then I'd be at a school in elementary school, like 10 days at a time. I go back to school and teacher would say I lost like 10 pounds. And I had this like every year, like twice a year, I'd have something big going on. But it was like, okay, that's just what it was. I was still, you know, a little kid running around playing and then teenager running around getting in trouble. And in my 20s, getting into more serious trouble. And the, but like I said, then when I moved to school, the stress of being in like a, a medical program like that, I never experienced that before. And that just really pulled the rug out from under me because it was like such focus that I never had to do before in my life. Yeah, it's interesting to look back on feeling ill as a child. You know, I'm I'm sitting here reflecting on my own experiences with that. And as an adult, I feel two things. One is more control. But as I was sharing with you before we started recording, there's still a ton of mystery in my health or challenges, things that I haven't fully figured out about myself. And I'm constantly surprised at how hard the medical system in general makes it to get to the bottom of things. But when I was younger, I felt really out of control. I had no idea what was going on. I did not understand my immune system. I just remember, you know, getting sick and kind of looking forward to it because it meant I got to skip out on some school, stay home, rest. And that's interesting too, right? That yearning to rest is really fascinating how as a kid, there are parts of school that I really enjoyed, but it was exciting to not have to go. And so, rest plays something. such a huge role in, you know, in our overall health. So it was like my body was trying to tell me to rest more, but I didn't feel like I had a lot of agency over that. Mm-hmm. So what you just described is also a big factor in um, emotional health. Okay. Now, what you just thought about, oh, if I'm sick in school, I get to go home, I get to rest. I had the same thing as a young kid in elementary school. Remember once I got a really bad stomach ache and I'm in class, like, what's wrong? My stomach hurts so bad. Okay, we're going to call your parents, come pick you up. And the teacher brings me down to the principal's office and I'm waiting for my parents to pick me up. I get brought home by my mom and I'm home as a little kid. I get to, you know, put on TV, watch cartoons, play with my toys, get some, you know, yummy food. I'm like, this is great. So I started the subconscious pattern of it's good to be sick. You get what you want when you're sick. You get loved when you're sick. And now I kept having issues in school to go home being sick as a kid. But then when I became an adult, I kept the same program. If you're sick, you get what you want. You get love. 
the universe kind of gives you everything you need, but that wasn't working anymore as an adult. So I had to get those subconscious programs removed because it was screwing up my life. That is such a great point. And it's interesting. I wonder, thinking about that in this moment, it seems like a lot of people experience illness throughout their whole lives. And I've often stepped back and been perplexed by that. You know, like, why are, does it seem like so many people are getting sick? But what if they're running under that same programming where being sick is the only time that they feel like they can just be in bed and not have to do anything? I mean, burnout is such a big challenge for people these days. And most people haven't set up their lives to have a lot of rest, to feel that love and care and support from others, to get even attention. And it's funny, that hasn't been something I've thought a lot about. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Is that something that you think a lot about in terms of what it means to be well and versus what it means to be unwell or ill? Yeah, the biggest things I deal with of my chronic patients and clients is the mind. So with the mind, we have two different things. We have past emotions that just kind of stick there and they give us feelings or programs. And But also, it's how it directs your present consciousness of your mind, the way you react to life. You know, if you're in your, again, your comfort zone or not, you can't get out of that. If you just feel like you're stuck in life. So there's two aspects to the mind, what's happening in the past, but also how your mind's functioning in the present. So we got to work with those two things at times to really get people over some of the most chronic type issues they've had maybe all their life since they were very, very young. And I find that's the biggest thing that just kind of helps people pull out that anchor so they can just start moving forward again in life with whatever their issue is. And I know that you're passionate about limiting beliefs. So would you consider that a limiting belief? Well, it depends. The conscious mind thing, that'd be limiting beliefs. The past emotional that can just create feelings, but you could still get past that and, you know, push forward and make things happen if the conscious mind, the presence still like, okay, we could do this. Yeah. It's fascinating the way our brain plays such a big role in how things manifest physically. And I don't know how much we're taught that. Is that something that came up in your medical school experience or did you have to seek that out beyond medical school? Because I hear so often that in med school, there doesn't seem to be a lot of attention around nutrition. There might not be a lot in terms of the psychology or the way the brain's working because you're so focused on physical symptoms and solutions. Is that something you found to be true or did you take a less traditional path in your medical school? Well, I went to chiropractic medical school. So this is the structure of that. The kind of preliminary undergrad stuff's the same, just the basic sciences. Then once you get in, the health sciences are all the same. Looking into diagnosis is all the same. Learning all of your lab testing and all that's all the same. But where it differs from chiropractic and medical doctor is medical school, you start studying more toxicology, pharmacology. So you start studying all the drugs. In the chiropractic, we go back and learn more anatomy, physiology, more neuroanatomy of the nervous system. We learn basic nutrition, which in medical school, they never learn nutrition. They don't even know what you're supposed to eat and how that affects your body. They're not taught that. And also, we learn more about embryology, how the body develops from embryos. So 
we go put our time into that and they put their time into learning the toxicology and pharmacology. It's all the drug stuff. But otherwise, they're the same. Yeah, yeah, we got to learn the same diagnostics. We got to, you know, and most doctors of chiropractic don't practice that much, but some actually do. Some are very functionally medicine oriented where they will look at heart rate. They will look at blood work. They'll look at urinalysis. They'll go and do, you know, imaging and all stuff and they get really into that, but just depends doctor to doctor. You have such an interesting background. And then the emotional (laughs) part too, in my school, they covered the basic nutrition, but it really wasn't that great. I did a lot more study on the outside. We learned that, yes, the mind, the emotions can affect the physical body and the biochemistry both, but we didn't really learn how to do that. I had to learn that on the outside too. And then we have energy that is within and around our body, and we have our spiritual connection too, and all these things affect our health, our well-being, and everything in our life. Before I get into the rest of this episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge my brand partner, Athletic Greens, which has a product called AG1. I started taking this right before I did some international traveling because I want to take extra good care of my gut health and immune system. And it was awesome. I have trouble remembering to take a bunch of supplements. And especially when I'm going somewhere, I don't want to like bring all these capsules with me. So I really appreciated having this all-in-one powder and they actually have it in individual packet sizes. It was perfect. I drank it every morning at the hotel. When I was traveling on the airplane, I had it. If I was on the way somewhere, like in a car, I took it with me and it was just super easy to put into my water. And it just gave me peace of mind knowing that it was supporting my digestion, my sleep quality, mental clarity, my recovery from all the travel and the exercise that I was doing. It tastes really good too. It only has one gram of sugar and yet tastes like a delicious tropical juice at a much cheaper price. It's less than $3 a day. And that's exciting because there's a little perk for you. Athletic Greens is going to give you five free travel pack sizes plus a free year one supply of their immune supporting vitamin D, which I take as well. I'll tell you about another time. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. And you can take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance just like me. If you are, have any any trouble, the link is in the description of the episode. It's also in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Check it out and let me know what you think. I'm curious how here you are in your life and looking at your background, you have spent the past 20 to 25 years studying healing, energy, spiritual modalities, So where does the experience being a gang member come into play here? Like, I assume that was before then, but I don't know anything about what that means, what that life is like. So I'm curious where that fell into your life and how that still impacts you, if at all, aside from a story to tell. Tell me the path that you took to get there. Was it something that you kind of stumbled into? Did you choose it? What were the benefits of it? What were the things that you wanted to shift in your life as a result of those experiences being a gang member? To me, it was just the neighborhood I grew up in 
you know, in elementary school, it was all we're going to, you know, playing ball on the street and having fun as kids and riding our bicycles around. It was all good. Then start getting into junior high school and the area I was in Queens, New York. It was more crime was seeping in, more drug use, stuff like that. It's kind of just like the city was kind of seeping out a little bit more to where we were in Queens. And then by junior high school, you know, people experimenting with drugs and then they start selling drugs. And then because you're selling drugs, there's problems with, you know, territory. And then you start having fights between you and other neighborhoods. And then I got into the graffiti thing and graffiti kind of goes along with that too. You can get in the big gang fights with the graffiti stuff. And for me, I wanted to get more into the artistic graffiti. So I became a, I was actually an internationally known graffiti artist by the early 1990s. And so art's a big part of my life too. I love art because of all that. But that whole part of my life, it taught me a lot. It taught me how to read people really quickly. Like the intuition was just like, boom, like, is this person going to hurt you? Are are you okay with them? Like we had to learn intuition very quickly. You know, they call it street smarts. So that was something really big. And I always had spiritual experiences as a child, like out-of-body experiences, experiences into like other dimensions of the world. Like there was ghosts in my house growing up. I could sense the other beings in my house. I could feel them around me. And when I started getting into the issues that were happening, hanging out in the neighborhood as a teens in my 20s, literally there were some spiritual experiences that happened that really kind of guided me out of there. So it was kind of like the universe always had me protected in a way because I never really got like accumulated a police record. I never was hurt bad enough where, okay, I was going to be seriously lifelong injuries or death or stuff like that. I was always protected. And there was things that, you know, I just look back later like, oh, yeah, that was like pretty much on the precipice of dying or not. Like at that moment, I had plenty of those happen. And all of it just kind of add to who I am now. You know, I deal with people who are going through some major things in life, major problems. And I sit there and I could tell them with my certainty, you know what? You can get through this. No worries at all. You can get through this. I reflect back to where I was in my life. I'm like, look, if I can get through things like that, you got nothing to worry about right now. Okay. Like you're fine. (laughs) I am so curious about this because I feel very ignorant about what it actually means to be in a gang. And as you were sharing about high school and all that, you know, I grew up in a really small privileged town and there was no crime in my town. We left our doors unlocked. Like there was so much trust and, you know, I never had to worry about that. And then I actually didn't even try marijuana until I was in college. And like, I barely even knew what it was. You know, I wasn't drinking that much. It didn't really appeal to me. And it's interesting because now I'm a lot more curious about altered states of consciousness and what those things can do for you. But in high school, I was just kind of like, you know, hanging out with my friends very like innocently. (laughs) And then actually towards the end of high school, I spent some time in New York City. And I remember it was like a whole nother world, even though it's not that far. New York City is about four hours from where I grew up in Massachusetts. It was just like all of a sudden I'm exposed to kids that grew up very differently. And yet because of my innocence, I still didn't really understand some of these other experiences. So I'd love to know what exactly 
it meant to be a gang member? Like, what did you do? (laughs) You kind of explain getting in. But for someone like me who tends to be on the innocent mindset, what was that like? And were there other people in the gang that were having life-threatening experiences or perhaps lost their lives? Like, how was that for you on a psychological level to be around and in that culture? Yeah, so basically what it was like, like, you know, we'd have our different areas in the neighborhoods where we'd all just congregate and hang out and, you know, people are drinking, doing some drugs, whatever, and just all hanging out and getting rowdy and stuff like that. And sometimes you get confronted by other neighborhood people that come by other gangs. Sometimes literally you'll see two, three, four, five, eight, ten cars pull up with people with ski masks and get out with weapons and like, all right, there's like a huge thing going on. You know, I've seen people shot. I've seen people stabbed. I've seen people, you know, getting their heads cracked open and stuff like that. I've seen people laying in the middle of the street. Ambulance comes, they put a sheet over them and they're like, you know, they're cordoning off all the streets around. I mean, I've seen some unbelievable things that would just keep me awake for nights and nights on end. You know, I had to get through PTSD. I've been shot at more times than most police officers. And yeah, you know, I noticed that when someone really gets shot, it's not like in the movies, it's much different. <laughs> You know, it's like, all right, this is real life. And, you know, now I don't even want to watch stressful movies like that. I don't want to watch scary movies. I'm like, I don't want anything that's going to make my body go through that adrenaline rush again because I experienced so much of that. I experienced so much like I am this close to dying, you know, like running down streets and bullets going past me and hitting trees and houses that are on the other side of me from where this person's shooting at me. You just hear those things going past you and just running, you know, and everything inside of your internal body, it just tightens up so tight as that's happening. It's unbelievable. And that was just the normal life, you know, about once, twice a week, some big thing like that would happen. And then we start getting in trouble with the police and stuff like that. And we're having problems with them. And then we'd actually go back and forth with the police and do things sometimes. And it was crazy. Then on the other side, I was like trying to do my graffiti stuff where you know, I'm climbing buildings to ride on rooftops. I'm on sides of highways, dodging cars to try to ride on the highway. I'm in train tunnels, trying to ride on trains, almost getting hit by trains. I'm, you know, sneaking in the truck yards. I have all the trucks to just paint on trucks and stuff like that. So I'm doing all that stuff too. I'm really, literally risking my life to do artwork. And that's just the way it was. And to me, it's just kind of like, it's normal. And like, when I started medical school, I realized I was a lot different than everyone there. <laughs> A lot different. Yeah. I bet. I'm also incredibly curious about the draw to do graffiti because I don't have a ton of experience with that. One of my family members seemed to be interested in it. So she came to visit me when I lived in Venice Beach and there's a lot of graffiti there. And I I paid it there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure from your view, it's completely different from mine. I mean, I would see it and it didn't have much of an effect on me because I don't really understand it. So walk me Mm -hmm. through the appeal of creating graffiti. And I certainly have noticed graffiti in all sorts of places where I've wondered how did somebody get up there? Why did they choose that particular spot? I've noticed or heard about, you know, people kind of getting territorial around their graffiti. So what is that world like? And are you still part of it? So for me, because I grew up very low self-esteem, very insecure. 
I had a lot of issues. Like I couldn't date women. I was too scared to date women. Like I had a lot of these just kind of like issues growing up as a kid. And, and you know, even though I, I grew up in that type of environment, I wasn't really like the fighter. I always tried to avoid fights and stuff like that. Literally, because I knew I tried to avoid fights, they would make me fight. They'd like put me in a circle and make me fight someone else, even though I didn't want to. And then I'd have to break it up because once I did lose my cool, I would start hurting the person so bad. Like, oh, whoa, stop it. I didn't cool anymore. Like, all right. So... <laughs> But to me, graffiti, what it was, it was something where I could be noticed. It was something where people would look up to me. It was something where people like, and my graffiti name was Greed. So it's something like, oh, that's Greed. I was kind of famous. And oh, Greed did this painting over in the Bronx and everyone has pictures of it. And it's in all these international magazines and on videos. And so it gave me self-esteem. It gave me something where I was important. It gave me a sense of power. It did. And when I looked back to it, I've come to terms with this. It's the same reason why I became a doctor, because I wanted the self-esteem. I wanted people to look up to me. I wanted to have the power of, oh, I'm a doctor. you know. So I did it for the ego. But once I got to medical school, I got tricked and I found out why I was really there. So Because I thought I was just going to do sports medicine and work on football players. That's what I went to school for. But once I got there and I got severely ill, I learned about holistic medicine and all this healing started happening. And I realized that's what I'm meant to do. I'm meant as this healer, as this teacher to do these other things. And I'm meant to take all the crap that happened to me through my whole life with everything. I mean, the gang stuff, the relationship stuff, the family stuff. And, you know, me to heal that, I could help other people heal that in life too. So that's kind of a whole little summary of why I got into the graffiti. It was for my self-esteem. It really was. And because I was kind of, I had artistic abilities, I could make more of a name for myself than other people could with it. And you got to think of a graffiti artist is like an ad executive. You know, an ad executive is going to be like, all right, we're going to do this advertising campaign. We're going to do these billboards. We'll be on the side of buses. We'll be on TV. Same thing as a graffiti writer. They're like, where can I put my name so it'll be seen? What will my name be so someone will remember my name and recognize it? How am I going to do it so it attracts attention? So graffiti artists are some of the best advertising people that you could ever think of. And a lot of them do get into design and marketing and stuff like that too later in life. They do. I never thought of the correlation, but you're absolutely right. And it's certainly going to make me pay more attention next time I I see some in LA. And that's so fascinating. I, I love your transparency about the ego and how there were so many benefits to this history of your personal awareness around self-esteem and, and wanting to feel important. And it's amazing to see this arc that you've been through over you know, acknowledging that because it's such a universal experience. Most of us feel like our ego rules us. You know, it's it's hard for us not to be in our ego and we have to kind of check ourselves a lot. And I think that takes a lot of personal awareness. Well, this is an important part to that too. Your ego is your friend if you're conscious of it. Okay. Our ego back in, you know, hunter-gatherer days, cave people days, it helped us survive. It was a survival mechanism. Okay. But now in the modern day, we don't need it for survival as much anymore. So we use it to like survive socially and in the family and things like that. But if you really to get to become conscious of your ego, how it acts and what it actually needs at times, you can actually use it in a very good way. 
Like I taught for about 14, 15 years post-grad. I was teaching internationally and I would use my ego and, you know, I would just, you know, talk about, okay, you know, you, you people are here to learn stuff, but I'm just here to look good in my suit. That's all I care about is how good I look. I just start, you know, really, what does my ego need? And just use it to make fun of myself or what's going on and, you know, really use it in a constructive way. And so it has a purpose. And when it has a purpose, you have more of you that's going in the same direction. A lot of things in life get easier. They really do. And plus, when you're transparent with people, they trust you. You know what I mean? They're like, I like this guy. Like, he's really wild. He might say some really things that like, you know, are like, oh, my God, what did he just say? But I like him for that, you know? So, yeah. You also touched upon the word survival, and that's played such a big role in your life because there are times you're literally surviving, and now you're helping people in a lot of ways survive. And I suppose survival can be defined in a number of ways, right? Because sometimes it's literal, like life or death. And sometimes it's figurative and it sounds like both kind of play a role for you personally and professionally. Would you say so? Yeah. I mean, survival is at the core of all our needs. You'll get um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, it's a big part of that pyramid of psychology. So it's just ingrained in us. And there's so many, you know, of course, we have to survive in the world. Most of us have to go and work and hustle. And, you know, if you want a nice place to live in, you got to make money for that. If you want to eat decent food, you want to, you have to do that. I mean, most of us have to do that. And there's so much more to survival too. Like, oh, I want to find a, you know, I want to be a good partner. And I, I want to be able to have some freedom for the weekends. I mean, that's even survival. It's like, I got to survive. I need a break, you know? So to us nowadays, survival is different. But yeah, there are some people who are literally surviving in the hospital to breathe. There are some people trying to survive with cancer. So there's so many levels of survival, but I feel it's all relative to where you are in life. I mean, someone might be freaking out because they can't get enough food to eat right now. And, you know, but otherwise they're doing fine. Like, oh, yeah, they get to eat, but they don't get to go out to nice restaurants and stuff like that and everything. But they're like, oh, like, I feel like I can't live life because I don't have this. Yet there's someone in a hospital who's literally can't even breathe because their lungs are closing up on them. And it's a whole different aspect of survival. So it's all relative to where you are. I feel no matter where you are in the scale of life, you're always going to have these needs. But when you work on yourself spiritually, a lot of those needs really become more transparent. You know, even if you're dying in the hospital, if you've been working on yourself spiritually and evolved, like, okay, if I go, it's my time. It's all good. I just feel bad for my family. They got to take care of all everything I leave behind. I got to go clean up my apartment and stuff. And, or if you're like, oh, I can't go out to eat this week because I don't have that much money, but it's okay because I think next couple of weeks I'll be making more money. It'll all be good. So spirituality really helps you with all those aspects of, survival to just make it more transparent where it's not as bad. I mean, there has been times I had literally gun to my head and something would come over me. I'd become so calm and just look at the person right in the eyes, like just calm stare. And I would say about twice, the person got scared by me and took off running because I was not scared. They had a gun to my head. So they must be thinking if this guy isn't scared, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> because to me, it was just kind of like I was taken over by kind of the larger who I am, like the spiritual self or whatever. It's kind of like, well, if that happens, fine, you know, like, boom. And 
just this calmness would come over me and I'm just like, okay. And then they take off and my friends are all freaking out. And I'm like, let's just get out of here. Let's not talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that I've only witnessed through a form of media, you know, but I, I've uh-huh. had a few moments in my life wondering what that would be like and if that would be true. You know, I've played well, out some of these scenarios. I mean, have you ever been to a bad car accident where a car, yeah, car accident, like something happened, but you were calm. You're like, well, that was close, but I'm okay. Like, but you were calm about what almost just happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, my example is a little more dramatic, but people go through this all the time. Like even maybe, you know, you almost had a car accident or almost slipped down the stairs and you're, oh, I'm I'm calm. I'm calm. I'm okay. I'm fine. You know? Yeah. I'm thinking through it because I tend to not feel calm <laughs> in those moments. And so I'm, I'm inspired here because what you were describing is this profound sense of acceptance and presence too. What is it like in that moment? Because it sounds like you're experiencing this wave of calmness in an incredibly stressful scenario for some people, a high-risk situation. Does it keep you in the present moment in a deeper way than you usually experience? Or is it something that has taught you to be more present and continued beyond those drastic situations? When I was younger and some of those things happened to me, it was just a sudden, like you said, I'm going to use the word presence that came upon me. And it wasn't something I practiced or just kind of always walked around in. It's just kind of like it happened. And I was just like, you know, I would always think about it later in life. And then later in life, I started meditating. I remember I started meditating and then just like I'd be in a space. I'm just like, whoa, I'm just like, I kind of feel in the same space I was at those points. And I'm like, this is cool. So I really got into meditating for years and years and years on a regular basis because of that. And then later in life, there's this thing presence I'm really using because it's so important. And this is what most people are missing in life is being in that presence of who you are, feeling that presence within yourself. If you really feel that presence, it comes out as a calmness and like a love and such a deep feeling. It's like this well, this ocean of love within you that you could actually feel. And I met this woman, um, I started following her years ago on social media. Her name is Sasha Cobra. She's been on a show on Netflix and she's very popular on like YouTube and stuff like that. She works with these energy healing modalities that deals with like tantric energy and the sexual energy in your body and stuff like that. She's a great healer. She used to travel the world doing retreats all over the world. And then the pandemic hit. And I remember her, you know talking more on social media once the pandemic hit because all her other stuff got canceled of course all her retreats and all that so i'm getting more and more into her and then mexico opened up and she had a retreat down there and i worked for a couple times online like doing online you know workshops for her and i worked with her on zoom one-on-one before and i felt a lot of great energy work from her coming through I went down to her retreat in Tulum and she was teaching us how to feel energy of each other and do intuition more. And I've done these things. I've done plenty of training like that through the years, but I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I like the way she puts it together. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It's worth the money for me because I always like doing stuff like that. But then she started teaching us how to do the healing work that she does on each other. So we'd partner up and do this healing work. And to her, the healing work was about being in that presence and just finding that presence within yourself 
and just holding your hand over somebody with that presence and their whole body starts doing the craziest shit. Their body starts healing. They'll start laughing. They'll start crying. Their body will start moving all over the place. They might have an orgasm just from you holding your hand over them and you being in that presence. Whatever their body needs, it'll start doing. So that blew me away. That blew me away because I could feel it in myself. But when I could entice someone else's body to do that too, that was mind-blowing. And that's one of the biggest healing things we could ever have. If we could just know that presence is within us and acknowledge that and feel that, and then we could, you know, interact that with other people and even in relationships with our partners, if we could have that energy between another person in a romantic way, this would literally change the world. And I feel this is the true way we're supposed to be. We're, I believe we've all had that presence in ancient times within us and we're finding it again. And you know, when you said that word to me, it's such a powerful thing. It's just presence of being aware of your energy within you because most of us are totally shut down about our body. We don't feel our body. We only feel anxiety or we feel worry, but we don't feel just what it's normally like in there, you know? So it's a huge, huge thing. It is. And it's powerful just listening to you describe it. And it, it takes me back to when we were talking about how many people almost look forward to being sick because it reminds them or gives them an opportunity to be taken care of by somebody else. And when you're describing someone putting their hand over you and the healing abilities of that, I felt that, you know, I've done a number of breath work and meditation classes and healing things. And it's true. I mean, it's like the Reiki practice where you can feel the energy of somebody holding their hands a few inches above you. And it just feels like all this heat. You can even do this yourself with your hands. Mm -hmm. And it defies a lot of the logic that we have about how our bodies work because it's not commonly taught, at least in the United States. And I think knowing that somebody else can have that healing power over us is so wonderful, but not everybody has the experience of that. And it can be very simple, sometimes going to the right yoga class. I mean, in some classes, the yoga teacher has come over to me and touched me before, during, or after class. And it's like, wow, just the couple moments of somebody who's been working in the healing arts touching me and how much that impacts me in that class afterwards as well. And being given the framework and the environment to experience that presence is so wonderful. And then noticing how most of the time I don't feel like I am reminded of that. I have to work really hard to be present because it feels like, again, in the United States at least, we're caught up in the hustle. We're just told to keep going. We use the word resilient earlier but I feel like a lot of people look at resilience in terms of like tension, like I'm going to power through this. I'm going to push through this. I'm going to, you know, grind. And I'm not sure that that grinding does us much good. And I'm curious how you feel about this hustle culture that many of us can fall into. Yeah. One of the biggest books that changed my life back in the early 90s, the title of the book is Power Versus Force. 
Now, if you think about force is that grind that got to push every day, that willpower, that strength, like you got to keep it up, keep it up, keep it up or else you drowned, right? That's living life by force. Living life by power is like, say you're in the ocean, got your surfboard, you're on it, nice wave comes, you get up on the board and the wave just takes you effortlessly. You can just enjoy yourself and relax on the power of the whole ocean just bringing you forward. That's living by power is to know there's a wave going to come. I'm just going to sit here and wait for it. Here it is. I'm getting on that and I'm moving with it. That's living by power. So power versus force. That book changed my life for many, many reasons. It was one of them. I think that's a book that everybody in life should read. It's It was amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's such a wonderful way to put it. Even the surfing Example, I actually just went surfing for the very first time when I was in Costa Rica and I got to experience that. And just being in the ocean in general, I was reflecting on why it feels so good. But there's so many healing properties to the ocean. You and I also discussed this offline earlier. Well, technically online, but (laughs) off air. And you were saying how you live close to the ocean, so the heat is more bearable. And Mm -hmm. it's really incredible how much of a difference it makes on us. And, you know, I notice it for my sinuses. I notice it for my presence, just the meditation experience I can have by standing and watching the waves come in and examining what it looks like and paying attention to the smell and how the air feels differently. Is that why you live so close to the ocean? Were you drawn to that? I'm not an ocean person at all, but this is where I wound up and I was guided here. I'm really a mountains person. I love the mountains. To me, when I just start seeing mountains, it's just like my heart opens up like boom. But, you know, I appreciate all nature. So I'm using this time to get closer to the ocean. And let me ask you this. Like you said, the ocean is such a great experience for you. When do you ever just get to stand outside in your bare feet? Do you? It's. I have to remind myself to do that. And, you know, it's not based on where I live right now. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably so much more connected to who we really are as part of the earth that you just feel that connection. Like if you would just probably go walk around in a park or some trails out around you just in your bare feet, you might feel that same connection with also the earth, which is it's who we really are. So like our physical bodies, like getting philosophical here, our physical bodies are the earth. And then what animates it through spirit is like from heaven. So humans are a mixture of heaven and earth. We have three chakras above our heart. We have three chakras below our heart, but they meet in our heart. And our heart is the meeting of those two. And that's what makes us human. So we got to, you know, not only like meditate and have mindfulness and all that stuff, but we also have to stay connected to the earth too and stay grounded. That's something that a lot of people miss because if we don't keep the spirit in our body, our, our life doesn't work and we really can't manifest the physical things in life we want either because we have to be in the physical body and rooted and grounded to create in the physical life. What is it about the mountains that creates such a powerful reaction for you? It might just be who I am astrologically. I'm a Taurus. I'm an earth sign. So I just see mountains and I'm just like in awe. But also I love snowboarding. I've been snowboarding since my younger 20s. I just love it. Like when I'm on top of a mountain in the snow and the snow like just makes everything more quiet and more kind of insulated. To me, that's heaven. And when I'm on top of the mountains in the snow and the clouds are actually below me and it's beautiful and sunny up there. 
I mean, I, it's just one of the most beautiful things in my life. Now, I like going by the ocean. That's great. You know, like I force myself to go at least twice a week, take a little walk around, just have my feet in the water. It's beautiful. I mean, here the water's so clear. There's little fish running around your feet. It's great. But yeah, to be like just up in the mountains and on my snowboard and just kind of gliding on the snow, it's just like one of the most carefree things ever. I got to get more into surfing. I tried a few times, but I have to get more into surfing. I think I'll like that too. I just, that's probably where I got to progress next in my life also. And I'm also interested to hear which mountains do you love most or if they could be a few, what part of the world do you feel most well, uh, really excited ex- about? I've only really experienced them in like Canada, North America. I mean, I want to go over to Italy and France and Switzerland. I want to experience all those too. I just haven't gotten over there yet. But yeah, I just, you know, part of my new chapter in life is to be traveling more. And that's why I put a big part of my business kind of online, working with clients, you know, through Zoom and stuff like that. So I could travel the world more now too. And so yeah, just splitting up business a little bit between like in person and online now, because I want that freedom to just take off once in a while and still be working and helping people. It has made a big difference in my life to be able to do that. And I'm planning a trip up to Canada, actually, in the next few weeks. And I love the ocean. I love the mountains. I love just seeing nature, as you were describing, and experience it, all the nuances. In the United States alone, even though I just did some international traveling, I still have so much passion for the country that you and I both live in right now and seeing how it changes and how the culture changes and the energetic differences and then going to small towns or national parks and feeling that it has had a deep healing effect on me as well. And I I feel drawn to it. So anybody that can create a life that allows them to experience that as frequently as possible. I'm a big advocate for that. And I'm excited to hear you're doing that. And right now, when you work with clients, what is a session like with you for somebody who might be interested in that? Well, you know, I have people fill out a questionnaire, what are the top things you want to work on in life? And people ask, well, what do I fix? I say, I fix whatever your problem is. I help people get through their problems, get through their blocks, whatever it is. If it's aches and pains, digestion, hormonal, mental, emotional, like health-wise, all the health-wise stuff. I help people to get through those things. And I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier was about, you know, someone having this healing power over you. Nobody really has healing power over anybody. The only person that can heal is the person who's healing. Now, someone like a practitioner, doctor, whatever, they could be there to help that person heal, but that person does the healing and only they can do it. So for me, I get people with, you know, they've had things for their whole life, these really chronic things they haven't been able to get over. First, I just start, start talking to them. All right, what's the issues you want to work on? When did they start? And I start asking them about their life. You know, when did this start? And what else happened in your life at that time? Oh, well, that's when my parents got divorced. Or that's when my dog died. Or there's always something else going on at that time, too, which is a big stressor usually. If something chronic popped up that just kind of came out of nowhere. Now, of course, they get hit by a car and they still have neck issues. That's a different story. But if it's something else that just kind of 
came out of nowhere or something kind of more internal where they can't recall any reason why it happened. There's usually something else big going on. Like even, you know, when I was in DC for a while, I worked with a lot of people in limes and stuff like that. And I'd ask them around these years, what else was going on? Oh, well, you know, my husband passed away, but you know, I was bit by a tick. I had the rash and everything. I'm like, well, yeah, but it's also literally the same year your husband passed away. So there's so many ways you could look at that. Okay, your emotions were just way out of whack and that depleted your immune system. Maybe spiritually, you actually attracted those things because you were having going through so much too. You know, maybe it's like a way for you to kind of heal aspects of yourself because they're more pronounced. So we got to really go through and, and just take a whole survey of someone's life. Then from there, start checking their energies, their acupuncture meridians, which are energy pathways through the body that relate to all the different organs. And they also relate to emotions. You got to see what the weakest one, the most blocked one is. And that's where we got to start working with that. And when I'm working with people virtually, I could do, you know, even through Zoom, all I have to do is focus on the person. I can do energy work on them just as I'm focusing on them. We could help those energy pathways open back up. We could free up energy in areas of the spine or joints that's kind of causing that joint to kind of be tightened up and having issues. We can actually help things in the body heal just by refocusing the energy around there and helping anything that's blocking it kind of dissolve and things heal quicker too. So there's all sorts of things that we could do at a distance to help people. And sometimes I got to remove some dark energy from people too. Literally, people have dark energy stuck in their aura, their chakras, or different parts of their body, causing health issues, causing pains, causing mental, emotional issues, all those types of things. And also, I'll see if someone needs some nutritional products or the lifestyle changes or, you know, whatever else comes up. Because I'm also, I'm very intuitive. I'm like a medical intuitive too. So a lot of things just come to me and I'll ask other questions as I'm working with somebody and ask them questions, recommend things. And yeah, I mean, if... Usually, if someone, number one, is ready to heal and they're allowing themselves to heal because only they could heal themselves, they will get better as I'm kind of guiding them and helping them. And, you know, I might push a few buttons here and there, but it's up to them to stay that way and to take the next step, the next step, the next step. I love that you frame it that way because going back to our conversation around the ego, I think I've sensed ego within various practitioners who do describe themselves as the healers, but this distinction acknowledging the fact that the person that needs the healing is the one that's doing the healing, I believe is how you phrased it. And having someone to guide you through that, you know, I think I see what you just described yourself as, as someone who's there to guide the patient, the client through this. Would you say so? Yeah. I mean, when I was a younger doctor, I had a huge ego and, you know, I've learned from some of the best out there. I learned, I learned from these like doctors that were in Time Magazine and stuff like that and everything. It, it's these amazing healers and I had an ego and I was helping people pretty well. But as I've had a lot of spiritual experiences in my life, one day I'm in the office and a patient I've been working with for a couple of years, she comes in, like sweet older lady. She comes in and she tells me, you know, very seriously, like, oh, Dr. Cyprian, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, and I'm just like, oh my God, like, okay. And she's telling me what she's going to do. She's getting her double mastectomy and going through chemo. And this is her whole plan and everything. And me, like, I'm just hardly listening to her. I'm getting within me what I'm telling her she should be doing. So I'm kind of disconnected from her. 
And what happened was behind her appeared about eight feet tall, this like opalescent kind of solid, but see-through like opal colors, like white with little rainbows in it, like little angel appeared behind her with its arm around her. And it transmitted to me in my mind without saying a word, you will work with her with whatever she wants to do. And I'm just like, okay. So she finishes everything she's doing. And I'm like, whatever you need me to do to help with any of that, you just let me know. Because the angel let me know, this is not about you. It's about her. She needs to go through this. You're just going to assist her. I'm like, okay. So yeah, sometimes I get big lessons like that. That's fascinating. I mean, the word fascinating keeps coming up for me throughout this conversation because you've just experienced so much. And in your autobiography, I imagine share so many of these stories. It's called Heal Profoundly. It just came out in December. And is it just the storytelling of this? Are you telling, sharing lessons? Are you teaching in the book? Or is it you detailing some of these amazing moments in your life? Yeah, it's it's my memoir, kind of some of the biggest points I went through. And there's a little bit of teaching there too, just kind of my view on what health is, all the aspects of health also. But basically what I want to do is show people my story so that they can actually recognize for themselves if they have interests that are within them, if they feel there's something bigger they're supposed to be doing. Everyone has to know that you can do whatever you want because a lot of people have dreams and desires and, oh, I'd love to be that or I'd love to be this. But there's like, I can't do that. And for me to go from a freaking kid running around the street, getting in so much trouble from lower middle class family to becoming a, a world renowned doctor, I know anyone can do whatever they want in their life because I went through that. And it's probably going to be, you know, I'm probably one of the hardest cases to get through that. So for a lot of people, it'd be a lot easier. I mean, I actually was invited when I was in Washington, D.C. to go speak in Secret Service headquarters to teach them about how to decrease stress in life because they have very stressful jobs. I spoke there to some of the management, a bunch of the agents, and it was televised to almost 200 agents worldwide. To me, who gets to do that? I mean, and, you know, I've gotten some trouble in my life and I know, all right, it's Secret Service. I got to tell them because they, they had to do a background check for they even let me in there. I had to tell them everything and they still let me in. I'm like, oh, cool. They know what's going on with me. They're still letting me in. That's cool. So, yeah, to me, that's like one of the pinnacles of just kind of, I guess, my virtuum vitae of like what I could put on there is like, hey, I've done this. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'll ever do anything that's kind of a higher status than that. I mean, you know, of course, spiritually, I think that that's as much more important things than that. But I'm like, I did that. That's pretty like, who gets to do that? That's damn cool. Yeah. Then you notice Secret Service headquarters has like a little gift shop in there. I was like buying things for people in there. It was crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good souvenir. And you certainly have had a lot of cool experiences in your life. So it's no wonder you've written a memoir about it. And I'm glad that you have for anyone who has listened to this episode and still wants more and is very drawn in and wants the details. I will link to Heal Profoundly, which is the name of Dr. Robert's book. That'll be in the show notes along with links to his website where you can book sessions with him, his social media. I saw you posting graffiti some references to that, various photos on your Instagram. So there is so much more that the listener can get by visiting the show notes, which are at wellevator.com 
That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the podcast section, the show notes for this specific episode. You will find the full transcript and all the links there to continue on this journey with Dr. Robert. Thank you so much for sharing all of your stories and your wisdom here. It's just been, as I've said multiple times, absolutely fascinating for me. Thank you so much. It's actually an honor for me to be invited to come speak with you and to yeah be able to share with your listeners too. So thank you. And you know, I don't know if we got uncomfortable at all, but you've certainly talked about some things that others would perceive as uncomfortable and shared how you've navigated them. So <laughs> at least we've addressed discomfort in a few different ways here. So I hope you feel satisfied with uh, getting a little uncomfortable today. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we did a good job. That was good. So yeah. But I've noticed it's hard for you to get be swayed. I'm sure you've been in that present moment, cultivating your skills there. And, and I just am so blown away by your ability to do that amongst some of the most challenging moments that a human being can experience. So again, for all that you do, Dr. Robert, and that you share online, I feel very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And it was fun talking with you too, because just watching you think about some things and ask me more questions. I'm like, all right, this is so cool. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> enjoyable for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.